This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows. This week, Nightmare Cafe, episodes three and four. I wonder if she remembers issuing this invitation. Hmm? She'd probably just as soon forget. You suppose the cafe will let her forget? I don't. I think our Faye is about to get the biggest surprise of her big surprise. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast presented entirely in black and white. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'm in the airport to hell and I'm on standby. (laughs) Remember that line? That was a good line. Yeah. It's not bad for this show. Before we get into it, Jordan, you you wanna give us a little something to do? Seeing as we're coming to the end of season two, I thought I would do a new type of game for you and I. I don't know if it's going to go well, but I'm calling it Build an Episode. It's inspired by Nightmare Cafe and the sort of randomness of this show. So do you remember the old game? uh, You ever play MASH when you were a kid? You remember that game? Um, vaguely. Remind me. It's basically uh, supposed to be like a little jokey game where you you pick what type of house you're going to live in, what type of car, who you might marry, how many kids you're going to have. And it's all sort of done randomly through numbers. So you end up with sort of a, a funny scenario, you know, like you're you're married to your grade six teacher, but you live in a mansion and you drive a motorbike, that sort of thing. Okay, okay. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some categories and they're all based on previous shows we've done over the last hundred or so episodes. You're going to actually give me a pick for each of these as well, so you have some participation. You're going to give me a number, and then we're going to randomly see what this episode looks like, and we'll figure out what the new... Ep- this is going to be episode seven of Nightmare Cafe. Nightmare Cafe? Great. What I'm going to do is actually first give you a number, maybe a number between five and ten. Between five and ten? Yeah. How about seven? Lucky number seven. Seven sounds good. Okay. So what I'm going to give you is all the categories. And again, I'm going to give you five in each. And then you give me a sixth one. It could be anything in that category, just so it adds a little bit of uh, a little variety here. Our categories are going to be a male lead, female lead, a place, a scenario, and a random object. Okay. And again, this is all going to have to work into Nightmare Cafe eventually. The five male leads I have, and you can pick a sixth, are... Detective John Kennix from Almost Human. Okay. Marshall Garson Macbeth from Badlands 2005. A wonderful choice. <laughs> John Moore from Beyond Westworld. Captain John Boone from Space Rangers. Boo. And our patron saint himself, Jake Cardigan from Tech War. Okay. So who do, who'd you like your sixth pick? Let's go with Quester from the Quester Tapes. Okay, great. Our next category is female lead, and the ones I have are Dr. Karen Hartland from America 2100, Chloe Tanner from Freaky Links, Sophie Green from Harsh Realm, Dr. Allison Taylor from North Star, and Lieutenant Shane Vanson from Space Above and Beyond. Well, let's throw another doctor in the mix and have uh, Dr. Uh, Molly Ann McCaffrey hop in there. Right. I think that was her name, right? Yeah, yeah. Molly Caffrey. All right, a place. So I've just thrown some places that this could take place. We have Giant Telescope Room, Ancient Caves, New Tokyo, An Alien Planet, and 
virtual reality. Uh, can we throw in the, the Planet of the Apes? Oh, that's great. Planet of the Apes. That's wonderful. Okay, I have a few different scenarios. We have time travel, alien invasion, hostage situation, time bomb diffusion, and gladiator match. I've got one for this too. How about Triffids? <laughs> okay, that's great. And then finally, a random object. I have an invisibility watch, morph mask, pancakes, a DNA bomb, and finally, a head of lettuce with teeth. <laughs> Very good. Oh, random object. That's, that's a hard one. What was in Riverworld? That r- steamboat. That steamboat from Riverworld. Okay, steamboat. I assume the episode will start at the Nightmare Cafe. We're with our two leads, Faye and... Um, I want to call him Frank. Yeah, Faye and Frank. And these two people we find out, they're going to show up. They're going to walk into the cafe and then the rest is going to unfold. Exactly. I'm just going to go through and quickly see what our categories are going to be for this episode. And we'll see what episode seven is going to be. Okay, and we're back. Again, to recap, you've picked the number seven. And so going through all of these categories, our random build an episode generator has created for episode seven, the new episode of Nightmare Cafe. Shot in 2020. Yes, 2020. Faye and Frank are in the cafe and in walk. Quester from the Quester Tapes. (laughs) With Lieutenant Shane Vanson from Space Above and Beyond. Okay. The place is, we're going to find at some point, it's going to take place in virtual reality. Triffids, I guess, are attacking. And the random object we're going to see actually very fitting is a head of lettuce with teeth. Oh, all right. So what do you think this episode is? Well, uh, you know, obviously, Quester walks into the cafe, followed shortly by uh, Shane Vanson. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she's died in uh, that crash at the end of the episode of... <laughs> Space Bum Beyond. Spoiler alert from 20 years ago. They both have to make up for uh, some sort of sit in their past. Makes total sense. They walk through one door. They're in the virtual reality that is uh, Quester's brain. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. That's like, uh, it's inside of his brain. I think the Triffids are just like going to be a manifestation of uh, guilt. Some sort of uh, survivor's guilt, maybe. Maybe they start growing in the cafe or something. Ooh, that's not bad. I guess maybe that's where the head of lettuce comes in. They they get served a salad by Faye, and it's full of human teeth. And they're like, oh, no, this reminds me of when when uh, Dampus died at the end of the episode, and I, I, I didn't help her. Right there, that makes as much sense as, I think, all the episodes we've seen so far of Nightmare Cafe. Yeah, I'm on board. I've got it now. It's definitely Survivor's Guilt. It's because Quester's lived so long that his best friend, the guy from MASH, has died, and he's all alone. <laughs> and that's it. That's how easy it is to write an episode of the show not bad i'd watch it yeah (laughs) so there we are well great work jordan you did it thank you i could have talked about that episode forever but let's move on well maybe maybe it'll be an an extra bonus episode (laughs) nobody hold their breath all right let's get into this week's episodes then here is the imdb summary for episode three faye and ivy Mm -hmm. faye's younger sister ivy comes to the city to visit her but trouble comes along in the form of her scummy boyfriend, Jesse. That was courtesy of Michael Hoffman. Yeah, Michael's got it. And Jesse is scummy. It's definitely his thing. Like, this is who we meet. Like, Ivy and Jesse are coming into the big city. They're, they're riding the Skytrain in Vancouver, which I was uh, excited to see. What city is this supposed to be, by the way? Did they ever say? 
they never say it's just a general metropolis or maybe vancouver playing itself but um it is one of these shows that i don't think it's going to much trouble to hide that i actually think later in this episode we'll see the sky train again and out the window they're gonna go past the uh that expo dome that we mm. saw in earth star voyager as a set i think the assumption is no one knows these uh landmarks so who cares why hide them you know I mean, now that we've seen so many shows made in Vancouver, I'm starting to recognize them. That's true. Now, how much did you like that uh, Ivy, who is uh, Faye's sister, did you like who played Ivy? Yeah, Molly Parker. A very, very young Molly Parker. Famed Canadian character actress from Deadwood and the new Netflix Lost in Space. Mm, yeah, that's right. She's reading a letter that Faye sent her where Faye's kind of bragging about her good life in the big city. And uh, she's finally come to catch up with her sister, who she hasn't seen in 10 years. She's brought along her boyfriend, who's, who's he's horsing around. He's a little he's a little vaguely threatening off the start, being like, don't leave me for a big city slicker. I wouldn't like that. Let me steal that letter and that you got from your sister that you cherish and throw it off the side of this subway platform. And there's one thing I don't know if you noticed. There was something that really has very little to do with this scene, but I thought was an odd choice in the background while they're having this conversation there's a guy just welding i did see that and i was just like that seems very dangerous and there's no like they're not they haven't corded him off he's just welding there's sparks everywhere they're walking through the sparks i was like what am i supposed to take from this that it's just like uh life goes on i don't know it was very weird it was distracting i think that's just what they think happens when you go to uh go to public transit they're just always welding something they're always welding yeah but you're right the the whole point of the scene you get the sense right off the bat that She's a little bit naive. He's maybe a little bit abusive or at least in a very dominant position in the relationship. Yeah, he tosses that letter she has from Faye off the side of the platform and it floats down because it's a sky train. It's in the sky. It floats down. And who's waiting below to catch it? Why, it's our good friend, Blackie. Blackie. Yep. He sort of reads the letter and then he talks to, as he does at the beginning of every episode, talks to us, the audience, and says, oh, that's crazy. Faye's sister's in town. I hope something doesn't happen. Again, I don't know if I understand what he's supposed to do. I can't tell if he wants bad things to happen or he just wants something to happen or he wants to help because it seems like it changes from scene to scene. It wasn't clear what he was threatening, if anything, or even what might happen. He was just kind of just like, maybe they'll meet. And I'm like, I assume they will. I mean, why would you introduce this character? <laughs> but it is funny because in the first episode, he was sort of like, oh, they might get a second chance. I bet they blow it. And the, the impl implication was he's sort of like, he's trying his best to set up scenarios for them to fail. But that doesn't seem to be what he's doing afterwards. No, I, I don't know. I still don't know his role exactly. He He's more of a commentator for a show that's already about people watching a TV in a cafe commenting on the action. He's commenting on the meta action beyond that. But he also shows up, not to belay this point, but he does show up in scenarios as well as taking the place of various people. He helps propel the action. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, it's unclear what his job is. He's just is where he's necessary i guess that's what it is so anyway moving on ivy and jesse kind of wander through a rough part of town we get to see people uh dressed in leather dancing to some red hot chili peppers on the sidewalk i love that it was supposed to be like the outcast of society and they're just listening to red hot chili peppers i was like ooh, extreme i know doing a little dance uh jesse uh forces ivy to hand over the last of her money so he can go buy some smokes and he kind of leaves her outside to watch the uh the dancers in the street yeah she's into it though she even like gets that look like maybe i'll start joining in a little bit i think she starts bobbing her head a bit like she's like maybe i can dance with these guys but in inside that shop old jesse's uh grabbed the shopkeeper's concealed gun and is robbing the place 
what happens here? Does he accidentally kill the guy via heart attack? We see that a little later in the show. Like, it'll be revealed to Faye what happened. After, like, she doesn't even know a robbery happened. The TV at some point turns on and says, hey, check this out from earlier. What we see in the first scene is he goes in and robs the guy. And then later when we come back to it, it the cafe kind of extends the sequence. And Jesse is, like, threatening the man. The guy's, like, begging, you know, don't kill me, don't kill me. And then Jesse, like, just shoots into the roof to give him a spook, I guess. Yeah. And, yes, the guy collapses. <laughs> I guess, what would you try, was that, is that manslaughter? Was that what it would fall under? Probably manslaughter, uh, you know, plus the robbery charge. Plus the robbery, yeah, right. And then he, Jesse makes that mean joke uh, to the corpse. Well, what is the joke he makes? I don't remember. He says, I guess you're the father to three orphans now. <laughs> that's good, though. That's funny. Just so you know, he's a real jerk. That's, that's what was revealed <laughs> to us. No, I like that. I, I, I actually forget that line. I'm starting to like Jesse a little more now. Over at the cafe, of course, uh, we see a floating pot of coffee as Frank and Faye materialize into the world. This raises some questions because up to this point, this is episode what, four? Three. Three. They've always just been in the cafe. And the implication has been they can leave depending on what's happening in scenarios. But otherwise, they're there at the cafe. It's sort of a... um, Purgatory? Purgatory, yeah. It's a purgatory of sorts. But this implies that they just sort of appear. So are they just in limbo when stuff's not happening? I guess it's the question. But else, does it apply they appear? Or does that floating coffee pot apply they're invisible? <laughs> oh, you know, I didn't even think of that. So could it, are they just saying that if no one's around, no one sees them? And they're just, but they're still going, they're still like carrots being chopped and like, like lettuce is being washed, but it's just floating. Yeah, I mean, that's the implication, I think. Also, they vanish and reappear quite frequently in the show. They'll vanish and then appear somewhere else, that kind of thing. But there are two vanishing effects. One is the classic just like you fade out and then fade back in. But then there's the one they use that seems to be at the top and bottom of these episodes, which is like a wipe. It almost looks like they're being energized. Oh, that's a good example. Yeah, it's like it's like they're beaming down to the cafe or something. Yeah, it, that's, it very much looks like that, just without the little sound effect. I mean, it doesn't matter, but I've I've really been noticing like these two different transitions. I'm like, is there a meaning behind them or is it just like whatever the editor had time for? It's probably the editor who's decided who's trying to make sense of things. But it just, you know, the show doesn't make sense, as we've as we've mentioned many times. Anyway, Faye's in the cafe. She's given us a monologue about probably what the themes of this episode are going to be about how she wishes she could fix her past. And if if she could do that, things would be really different. And she complains about how her mother was mean to her and never listened. Is this the part where for some reason Blackie takes out an egg and cracks an egg and then a little chick comes out? That does happen. It happens a little later, but there is there is a point where Blackie's trying to clue her in because right after this, after she gives this monologue, of course, for like because it's the nightmare cafe and everything's in the right place at the right time ivy and jesse just happen to walk into the cafe to grab a beer yeah and blackie knows that's Faye's sister but Faye and ivy don't recognize each other i guess because they haven't seen each other in 10 years that's the implication anyway it makes sense that Faye wouldn't recognize ivy because if you left someone at 10 years old and now they're 20 they're going to look quite a bit different it's possible they might look different enough that you wouldn't recognize them but let's say Faye left at 20 and now she's 30 her sister's still going to know what she looks like. She wouldn't have changed that much. There are no photos in the house. She's been erased. Yeah. So anyways, it's so they can set up this mystery that doesn't resolve in any any enjoyable way. But anyways, they don't recognize each other. Well, and that's where Blackie comes into it is 
Faye's like, that girl seems really familiar. And Blackie does a magic trick with an egg. He like he takes an egg and then he cracks it open and inside is a little chick. And that is what clues Faye into that that is her sister. You know what? You caught that I didn't. I didn't even understand. It just seemed like it was another weird thing he does because not, not too long from now, he kills a gigantic cockroach too. Like I thought it was just with these random things to be like, isn't this a weird place and isn't he zany? That's at the end of this scene. He's got like a comically large spray can. Yeah. And he like basically sprays the air and a housefly the size of a watermelon falls, off, falls through the top of the screen and lands on the cafe never comes up again my note was why did this happen is this supposed to be funny i mean i think it's supposed to be very comical that prop comedy giant fly (laughs) anyway in this episode i'm assuming both the actors are in their early 20s playing a little bit younger they're supposed to be about 1920 right yeah both of them look about 30 or at least mid 20s but i love that there's at least three scenes where people keep asking them for their id and i know it's to so we're like oh they're really young i'm like I don't know if anyone would ask them for their ID. <laughs> I mean, I recognize both those actors and they look quite a bit younger than they are in when I know them from more 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 of their acting work later. So for me, it was fine because I, I was like, they're both so young. I guess. It was because probably I know them as older actors. What I'm saying is I would serve both of them alcohol. Well, you don't have your smart serve though, so you don't know. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, I just, I give it to random kids all the time. They're going to learn somewhere. And uh, if it's not from you, who else? <laughs> it's not from me. <laughs> it's going to be from some some creep like Jesse. <laughs> well, there you go. You're not a creep. They should learn from you. <laughs> uh, by the way, Frank didn't does not need to be in this episode at all, but they really shoehorn him in so that he's like in charge of the action. Yeah, this could be an episode where he's just in the back, like chopping potatoes. But I think he's the first to notice that Frank has a... Um, uh, sorry, Jesse has a gun on him, right? Yeah, well, they want a beer and burger. Faye tries to serve them, but, like, Jesse's, like, a real jerk. He, like, orders for Ivy and, like, is just, like, calling, calling Faye toots and stuff. So Faye kind of is just like, I don't know if I want to deal with this. And I think you're right about the shoehorning, though. It was funny. I think the way it's handled is, like, Frank really wants to shoehorn himself into the story. Like, yeah. it's as if this character is just like, I'm not going to have anything to do in this nightmare cafe. I'm getting myself involved. Yeah, because yeah, he takes charge of the action very, very early. Because they're a little creeped out by Faye, who like is just like, you look like the type of girl who's here looking for your sister based on an address you have in your pocket. And they're like, how do you know so much? Oh, yeah, and she doesn't she say she's a friend of hers? I think that's a little later in the episode. But Jesse and Ivy are a little creeped out by this like aggressively helpful waitress. So they're like, we're going to we're going to take off. And Frank's like, hey, let me tag along. I'll, I'll help you find that address. <laughs> Hold on. And he kind of like takes off all his like stuff. He's like, oh, I can't wait to get out of this shitty cafe for a few hours and like books it out the door after them. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe Frank just wants to get out. But I think we have to mention, though, that I think Ivy keeps mentioning that the the reason they're in the city is they want to find Faye because Faye, as you mentioned earlier, sort of exaggerated how good her life is. And so Ivy has essentially run away from home and they're hope she's hoping to her and Jesse to, I think, move in with Faye or at least have her help them. Yeah. Uh, like kind of get a uh, heads up as they're, they're essentially runaways. Yeah, they've run away and they want to find her sister and they think she lives a good life. So maybe they can help her out, basically. Frank follows Ivy and Jesse through the streets and kind of tries to ingratiate himself into... I guess this duo, he's trying to make it, he's trying to, he's trying to be friends with them in that way that like, it's kind of funny. Cause it's that way where we're like, 
a 35 year old's like hey you 18 year olds i'm pretty cool like we should all hang out yeah it is funny can you imagine though if you just showed up to a, a random cafe and you're leaving and the guy who works is like hey i'll come with you you'd be like no please and i'll give the show credit they do sort of act like that the whole time it's like we don't want this creepy guy with us yeah and as frank's trying to like sell himself to them the cops drive by and like turn around i guess they're searching for a robbery suspect matching uh, jesse's description so the three of them take off and hide in an alley and jesse uses the moment to take out that pistol he stole and uh, pistol whip frank in the back of the head with it i thought they just took his jacket but what we, i think it might go to um commercial but jesse and frank essentially exchange clothes while frank is knocked out yeah they do a jacket swap and he gives frank the gun basically he's just like all right when the cops come into this alley where we ran into, they'll just arrest this this dope, this chef from that restaurant, and I'm I'm scot free. But here here's a question though for you. I think this is right before commercial. It's going to be like, oh no, he he wakes up and he's in different clothes and he gives a gun and the cops are showing up. The stakes, the stakes. It's like, but he can go back to the cafe anytime he wants. He's and he's also dead, so nothing this matters. Like the cops could literally shoot him and kill him. He's just gonna wake up in the cafe. What does it matter? I mean, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. It's not, there's not really much at stake for him. Like, it's not like Frank can get arrested and go to jail, I guess. I mean, maybe the rules are so nebulous that it definitely doesn't feel like there's any real stake for him. Well, what we've seen is no matter really what happens, he'll end up back in the cafe because that's now what his existence is. So none of this matters. Well, I mean, it matters to Blackie because he's, he's back at the cafe watching this all transpire with Faye. And when he sees the cops pulling up, he's just like, now is my time to shine. See you later, Faye. Yeah, and then... <laughs> so, Frank gets up, he sees the cops coming, he's got to outrun the cops, and suddenly a cab driver comes, and at first I didn't recognize that it was Robert Eglin doing the part, because what I thought they had cast was a white guy doing a very offensive Indian accent. Now, that is what he's doing, but it's, I think, supposed to be played for laughs that we're supposed to know that it's Robert Eglin via Blackie via this character. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, he's in a turban. He's talking like the love guru in a part that surely Justin Trudeau tried out for. <laughs> and That's only funny for Canadians. And it was insane. I'm just like, what is happening here? I, I mean, it was bad. I like that they... I was grateful. I don't, let me say I don't, I don't like it, but I was grateful that they gave up on the whole ruse in like 30 seconds. Yeah. Like Frank gets in the car and he's just like, oh, wait, you're Blackie. And he's just like, and he just stops at the whole thing. But I was just like, oh, man, this is rough. And this whole episode is a little weird. It's like a new thing for Blackie. This entire episode will be Blackie dressing up in different costumes as if he were Mike Myers in an Austin Powers movie. Yeah. And putting on weird voices. The, like the entire episode is him popping up randomly in weird clothes. Well, I think part of it is that they have this character of Blackie. They didn't really define who he is or what he's supposed to do. So now by episode three, they're like, you know what he's going to do in all the adventures? He'll just keep showing up. It's like, but why? So he's saving again. He's saving Frank, who doesn't really need save because none of it matters. And I mean, so far of the four episodes we've watched, this is the only episode where that is true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But essentially they get into the cab they're going to get a nice car chase sequence here because, you know, they need a lot of action in the movie. So uh, Blackie's driving him through the streets. Did you catch, because uh, he drives like a maniac. Did you catch who his driving instructor was? No, I didn't. Who was it? Black, uh, when they when he's driving, they ask Blackie, he's like, how did you learn to drive like this? He's like, let me just tell you, my driving instructor had a pitchfork. 
<laughs> I didn't hear that. That's funny. So some sort of farmer, I guess? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yes, they, they do a driving sequence. At some point, Frank realizes he's wearing Jesse's jacket and kind of figures out what the ruse is. So he throws the jacket out the window, which lands splayed across the police's windshield. So the police veer off the road and crash and the car explodes? That's what happens. If you go too fast, cars explode. And as they're driving away, Frank's like, oh no. And Blackie's like, don't worry, they're fine. <laughs> yeah. What I like, though, is this whole sequence is not needed at all. It is just like, I think it is just for some action. Because yeah. even now, Frank is just like, hey, Blackie, let's go back to the cafe. And Blackie's just like, eh, I don't know, maybe not. Frank's like, shut up. Let's go back to the cafe. Just give me the wheel. And we get another comic sequence where Blackie literally takes the steering wheel off the front of the car and hands it to frank and says here you go and then vanishes from the car it's just time waste though it's just like i can't believe this is happening but like again none of this matters it doesn't have any effect on anything yeah like frank has to jump out of this careening taxi to get out and then the taxi because it has a mind of its own now turns around and like tries to hit frank on its way back and as it's driving back, we see the cop car and the two cops have escaped it, apparently. And they are now walking away from the exploded cop car. And the taxi just chases them down the street. It just got really, like you've mentioned before, it sometimes now gets into like Looney Tunes humor. Like, wouldn't it be hilarious? It's not even Looney Tunes. This is like a police academy gag of like, wouldn't it be hilarious <laughs> if the if the car has no driver and it chases people? Like, oh man, sure, okay. I mean, I would say it's biggest problem is they don't even really commit to the gag as much as they should. It's like, hey... Let's take two minutes out of the episode, and wouldn't it be funny if a car drove without a driver? Yeah. We kind of get back to the story now, though, because we jump back to the cafe, and Faye's worried about her sister, so she decides she's going to do a thing she hasn't done in 10 years, and she picks up the phone to call her mom, and this is kind of one of the few times we've seen the cafe kind of do something you think the cafe should do. Which is what? The phone works? (laughs) No. Well, she places the call, and the mom picks up. And then behind her, the lights go down and the mom's bedroom appears inside of the cafe. It was a weird look, right? It it suddenly becomes like a play for a bit. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of like you're on the stage of a play. And they put down the phones and start talking to each other directly. And I, this mom, I mean, she's supposed to be a bad mom. But I got to say, she looked like a badass mom. (laughs) She's like sitting in her bedroom with a glass of whiskey and a cigarette, just like having a great time. And she's just like so like film noir detective but in a negligee i think what it is is the actress is better and giving more than the role deserves that's probably the case they said you have a conversation about you know oh a little bit about the family a little bit about themselves but essentially she phase there to tell their mom that like she needs to come to the big city to help ivy and the mom kind of tells her just like why don't you help her you never helped anyone you should get out there and do something about this and that kind of causes the whole scene to fade away and Faye to realize it's her turn to step up. And to drive that point home, the TV turns on. But you forgot one important bit of information, Luke. We learn Faye's middle name. Oh, yes. Because the mom doesn't believe it's her. So she asks what her middle name is. Faye's middle name is Petulia. <laughs> I remember watching that part and I was writing down Petulia. And I was like, that's a weird name. And Melanie's like, I think they said Petunia. So we, we rolled it back and she's like, nope, that's Petulia. Yeah, Petulia, which I don't know. Is that a name? I've never heard it before. I hadn't heard of it either, but uh, sure, why not? It's a a family name or something. But yes, we uh, get to see the TV turn on to help Faye know what she needs to do next. On the TV is Ivy and Jesse in a tattoo parlor. 
Very classic looking tattoo parlor. Yeah, and they're getting matching tattoos. It was hard for me to tell what it was, but later on, I, I believe what they both get is they both get a heart tattoo near their heart. And I think what it is, is they each get each other's name on top of the heart, correct? Oh, that's a good question. I honestly, I never saw what tattoo Ivy got. So I was never clear as to what she ended up getting. Like we definitely see Jesse gets a huge like chest covering heart tattoo. Very classic sailor style. But I I was never sure what Ivy got. But maybe that, yeah, maybe you're right. I Maybe I just missed it. Which is, I think, generally a bad idea is to get matching tattoos, specifically your boyfriend and or girlfriend. Well, I mean, as the scene starts and they're waiting to get their tattoos, Jesse's explaining to her the meaning of all the other tattoos on his body, which made me wonder, it's like, have you guys been dating for like four days? <laughs> like you, this, this conversation hasn't happened yet? I think the really more the implication is that She's starting to realize she doesn't know much about him. Right. He's got a rose on one arm. And do you remember what the rose uh, signifies? No. What is it? Uh, the rose is for the 18-year-old woman he slept with when he was a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> That's right. You're right. I forgot about that. He's a Pacey from uh, Dawson's Creek. <laughs> w- weird pull, but I like it. Yeah, thanks. And the other one is a snake on his other arm. Do you know what that stands for, Jordan? No, was that, <laughs> I hope, I can't remember, but I hope it's another uh, weird sexual experience. That was for the Pentecostal girl he used to date, who was really into snakes like he was. Oh, that's right. That didn't make sense because she was sort of a, 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 a like a snake charming Pentecostal from 1903 when they used to do that. I, I guess so. <laughs> it was a weird line. That's right. But essentially like Ivy's being coerced into getting this tattoo she doesn't want it she's being forced to do it and the tattoo artist even asks her like are you sure about this and as the tattoo artist turns around it's good old blackie wearing uh that that uh bajoran earring the one that runs from your ear to your nose <laughs> with chain in between. that's that's good yeah that is what it looks like he's got cool little tiny sunglasses on and what he's doing another accent right like he's like he's from new york or something that's what he's supposed to be yeah, he just, he's, I mean, that accent is less defined. He's just kind of like a tough, uh, tough biker tattoo artist, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing this on the TV, essentially, Faye knows she needs to do something to help uh, her sister. So as Jesse's getting his tattoo, she uh, wishes she could help her sister. And she appears in the, like, in the lobby of the tattoo parlor. Mm-hmm. She bumps into Ivy. And I think this is the point where she's just like, hey, uh, I know it's weird to see that waitress you just saw from that <laughs> restaurant in this place but i'm actually a friend of your sisters and like just want i'm just here to help and you know i I don't think you should be doing you're doing and you know this is weird so ivy basically calls bullshit on the whole thing yeah and Faye's just sent right back to the cafe well it's because uh she uh, ivy's just like this sounds like bullshit that you're my sister's friend what are you doing here i wish you'd go away so basically the wish is counteracted and throws throws Faye back to the cafe now this is a weird thing i'm gonna stop real quick you get the uh, impression that through these episodes that if you wish something in the cafe, it's going to happen. But it's not consistent because I think it's either this episode or the next episode where the characters have sort of figured that out. And they keep saying they wish, but like the cafe is like, eh, 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 only when I feel like it. Well, that's certainly like, yeah, I think that's more the next episode. We start saying that they know wishes work now, but the cafe is not letting them abuse it. Right. And this episode, I think we're going to learn something interesting, too, as we get to the last part of it that might explain that. But just kind of where we are now is kind of weird because we suddenly cut back to Frank, who at this point in the episode, I had like already, I'm like, I don't need to know anything what's going on with Frank. He's not involved in this episode. But suddenly we see Frank. He's still wandering the streets post that car chase. He steps into the road and gets hit by a car. Yeah. 
But who's driving that car? Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, I think the, the implication is that the car is going too fast. He's still an idiot for walking in the middle of, of the road, but a car hits him. He gets out. They have, like, kind of a confrontation. He said, don't worry, I'm not going to sue you if you let me drive, because he realizes... I don't know if he realizes at the time, but we as a viewer do, that it's the mom that we've saw before in the other scene, the mom of Ivy and Faye. Yes, yes. And that, I mean, that just did. Basically, Frank's just like, I won't sue you if you'll give me a ride back to work. And then she's like, okay, fine, I guess I will. And we have like at least two or three scenes of them driving, right? Yeah, I mean, we get a little bit of a driving sequence here too. She drives more crazy than Blackie? Yeah, and it's, it's a weird character trait i'm not sure what we as a viewer are supposed to get out of it he like he's like oh you drive crazy she's like yeah that's the way i drive and i was like okay but essentially she's flown into the big city because she had a dream where her daughter appeared to her and she was like it made her want to come to the city to help her youngest daughter out so that's why she's there she's flown there she's rented this car and now she's driving around like a wild woman just trying to figure out where where on earth her her missing youngest daughter is yeah um Getting back to the actual plot of the episode, Ivy and Jesse are, uh, they finally tracked down Faye's apartment. That address they've had is, they found it. But the, the apartment seems a little more run down than they're expecting. And as they get into the actual apartment building, they find an old woman cleaning out Faye's apartment. Because, you know, she's been missing for a few weeks and clearly she's abandoned her apartment. So this old woman's cleaning it up. And they ask the old woman if they can kind of look around for some, I guess, clues as to where the missing sister is. And the old woman turns around and, who is it? It's Blackie again for the third time this episode. Now he's hunched over and he's got a weird Eastern European accent. But we do learn, though, because we had this uh, uh, question before about that they seemingly can leave the cafe. And I said, why don't they just go back to their home? Clearly they can't, though, because she's been gone for so long that, as you mentioned, the apartment is now, you know, it's being taken over by the landlord. But I don't know. It just seems weird that they can come and go and people can see them and know them and but... They sort of walk the fine line in this episode by the end of it, too. But anyways, her apartment's gone, so it's available. Two-bedroom. <laughs> but yes, uh, they go. They start looking around the apartment, trying to get some clues as to what happened. It's at this point, Jesse, who was led to believe Faye was going to be wealthy, it becomes clear that the only reason he did this was he just wanted to meet Faye so that Faye could give him money? Yeah. So now that he knows Faye is a liar and she's poor... He's just, like, done with this. He's like, why am I even with you, Ivy? Like, your sister's poor. This is this was a stupid trip we've taken. And you know what? I'm going to make it up because I'm going to just go back and rob that cafe. Well, he says, the exact quote he says, he goes, we're going to go back to the cafe because I know there's money there. I was like, what? Of all the places, you're in the middle of the city. You're going to go back to this cafe in the middle of nowhere because you know that place has money. You're the only people look were in there at all. Like the place looks like it has maybe 50 bucks. It was funny because in the scene where they are at the cafe, Blackie goes to the cash register and they have a cutaway to him opening it up and being like, Ugh, slow night, like implying how little money is there. So there's no reason for him to think there's any money in that cafe. Yeah. Also, why would the cafe ever have money? Are they actually taking money from people that come in? Like, these these people we've seen over the last few episodes, the woman who was trying to have her husband killed, did she pay for those coffees? No, the Frank definitely comps every woman who walks to the door. <laughs> anyway, Ivy finally's had enough. She's like, if you do that, I will call the cops on you. So Jesse starts to choke her out against the wall because he's had enough of her too. Yeah, but then fate wishes she can fight the guy. Yeah, they go back to the cafe. She's watching it on the TV. She wishes she could kick his ass. And the cafe just kind of like throws her at him. Yeah. 
And so she kind of fights him. It's not choreographed very well, but she she sort of hits him and gets him off of Ivy so they can get away. They run out. Jesse kind of comes to or gets off the floor of this like half abandoned apartment and finds a photo of Faye on the ground. And he's kind of the first one to piece it together. He's like, oh, that waitress this whole time has been Ivy's sister. Now it makes sense. I'm definitely going to go back and rob that cafe. Is this where we go? I don't know what part we go to. But is this, it seems like the longest sequence ever where they're both on the train. Ivy and Faye are taking the train back to the uh, the cafe. And it just seems like it goes on forever. Yeah, they have this like heart to heart where Faye still doesn't quite come clean. Like she keeps trying to sell this idea that she's like a friend of Faye's. Mm-hmm. And there's this very, the only part of that sequence that was interesting to me was Faye starts like telling her, she's like, listen, Ivy. People disappear all the time. They just go missing to have great, awesome lives. Like, it happens all... Like, she's trying to sell her this idea that thousands of people go missing every year to go have amazing lives. And I'm just like, 100% that's not true. (laughs) All those missing people you see, they're all having a great time. They're all like at Disneyland or something. Yeah, it was a very unlikely story she's trying to sell her sister on. Uh, They get back to the cafe. They try to call the mom, but the, the phones are dead. And suddenly the power goes out, and as the as they get the kind of lights back on, turn on that fuse box. Of course, Jesse's there. He made great time. He's got a knife. He's ta- he's taking Ivy hostage with a knife because he's just like, I want all the money in the till. And how about a nice cup of coffee? <laughs> but the coffee's cold. Yeah, he he takes a sip of that coffee, and uh, he's like, Oh, this coffee sucks. This cafe blows. This coffee's cold. And the coffee cup itself shoots a column of flame straight out of it yeah and the reason it does it is because the cafe is sensitive it didn't like that he implied he not implied he said that the coffee was cold and bad coffee so it was offended in that oh sure and this is i think where that idea of like it denying wishes comes in in this episode i think we're now know the cafe itself is a sentient thinking creature of some sort because it can make choices it can become offended so all bets are off now for me (laughs) yeah so after the coffee fire i think money starts shooting out of the register too right it's like a it just starts spitting out and then jesse goes to grab the money and sort of uh loses his grip on ivy and then his hand gets stuck in the register right yeah the the i think the cafe is now since so mad at jesse for calling it crummy it's it's just the cafe's way of punishing him i guess and then we we have to also we gotta get frank back in the action he's outside but he can't get into the cafe and what is it because he said something offensive to him well before he gets back to the cafe i just want to make note of one thing because it uh delves back into the idea that this mother is the coolest mother on earth because they've been driving around as they're driving to the cafe the cops drive by oh that's right frank as they drive by him impossible like an impossible way to recognize someone as two cars passing uh opposite ways in the in the in the street but it, it leads to another car chase where the police are now chasing the mum and frank the mum gets to the wharf pulls up tells frank to get out of the car she's like i'll shake him and she peels out spins past the cops and i'm just like this lady rules well, it is funny because <laughs> they, they establish her as an interesting character and she only gets a few scenes. And I'm like, man, the actress did way more than uh, you guys were expecting because it's more interesting than uh, than just having Frank walk around like a bozo. Absolutely. But now Frank gets to walk around like a bozo again. He he walks with the cafe. 
he knocks on the door trying to get in it won't open and we come to realize that when frank said he wanted to go for a walk and get out of this crummy cafe the uh the cafe was also offended by that so now he's not allowed to come back inside i don't know in what order it happens but he realizes he has to apologize to get back in he does apologize then he's like i wish i was inside but it like puts him inside a a phone booth for some reason it's just it's just the humor of the cafe anyways he eventually will get in so don't worry everyone he will get back to the cafe eventually well he's trying to get in though uh Jesse finally gets his hands out of the register and uh, chases uh, Faye and Ivy around. They, like, run into the uh, ladies' room, and he's got that knife out. He's really threatening them. And then suddenly, the heart tattoo on his chest starts to beat like a real heart. But right before that, Luke, they run into the washroom to hide from him and close the door. He punches his way through a wooden door as if it was cardboard. He's not a superhuman, uh, super strength human. He just punches his way through a door. It's just a little bit of The Shining. It's just like, uh, yeah, just like Jack Nicholson. But you're right. His his tattoo starts beating. The heart starts beating on his chest. He freaks out. He runs out. It was a cool effect, though, wasn't it? I, like it was kind of like a weird like the yeah. skin was like bumping up and down on his chest. Yeah, I thought. Look, I mean, I would freak out too. So he freaks out. Runs out of the runs out of the bathroom gets in a real quick fight with frank who's now there but i love it's one of my favorite sequences frank punches him he sort of spins around then ivy punches him and then faye punches him and he keeps spinning he staggers and he goes to the doorway the doorway flips open the mom is there and she gives him the knockout blow i love that too it was just like one punch two punch three punch four but you actually missed a key part of that punching sequence jordan what was that ivy is holding a toilet seat, and she hits him with a oh, toilet seat. That's right, that's right. Yeah, she uh, she had time to unscrew the toilet seat. It was like a professional wrestling match <laughs> broke out in the middle of this. And I was just like, where did she get a toilet seat from? And then it, we sort of have to wrap things up really quickly. And is this the part where they all decide, basically they're like, the mom comes in and they're like, you're here, mom? And then she's like, yeah, I met this guy outside named Blackie, and he filled me in that Faye works for the government, so everything's fine now. Well, that was it. A little earlier in the sequence, too, when uh, they're fighting Jesse, Jesse does also reveal to Ivy that Faye is, in fact, her sister. And when she do- when when Jesse reveals that, Ivy's just like, oh, that makes sense. I think you're a government agent who's a secret agent, so that's why you couldn't tell me this whole time. Like, Ivy creates that entire story for herself. And I guess because the cafe heard that, Blackie knows that. And Blackie also, yeah. So now everyone's just like, okay, now it makes sense why Faye can't tell us anything. She's a secret agent for the government. And then they all sort of agree to have a cup of coffee and catch up on old times. Yeah, they have some reconciliation. And then Frank asks Blackie what they should do about that Jesse character they just punched out and left on the floor of the cafe. But when he looks, Jesse's already disappeared. Yeah, but he's disappeared and he shows up in a cop car and he's like, not again. Well... <laughs> That is true. The TV turns on and we kind of see the uh, where Jesse ends up. And it's just like him appearing in the back of a cop car. And as I was watching this, I'm just like, this is Nightmare Cafe. That's like a sucky punishment. But even Blackie, when he sees it, says, this is a quote, punk got off easy. And I really did wonder, I'm like, why, like, why not something more exciting than that? Is this the third time we've seen someone just end up either in the back of a police car or in, or in jail? We've had uh, the the woman who tried killing her husband. She ended up in jail. Mm-hmm. We had the evil guy. Uh, there wasn't the gangster guy. Someone yeah, ended the up, toxic waste guy ended up yeah. in jail. And then now Jesse's ended up in the, uh, the police police car. That's the final judgment. You end up behind bars. But with the other two, 
at least the toxic waste guy first fell into a vat of toxic waste and saw his own trial. And the lady who murdered her husband had her burnt husband go in and hang out with him. I don't know. Jesse's punishment seemed really flat to me. But all he did was that one accidental manslaughter of killing that convenience store guy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just I was just like, I like Blackie at the end of the episode was also disappointed by what a what a lame come up and see God. What he should have done is looked around and then right to the viewer said, what a lame episode. Am I right? <laughs> that would be a better character. Imagine the whole time he's just constantly complaining about how crappy the show is that he's stuck in. <laughs> well, uh, I, you know what? I'm not going to spoil it, but someone basically says that next episode. <laughs> right. Oh, that's true. That's true. If for episode four, the heart of the mystery. Yes, here's the IMDb summary. Let's let's get into it. A primitive clock, if you will. Measuring out the time you've got left, Stan. That young punk out there in his Saturday night special, he said it ticking for you. See the bullet? That shiny thing right by your elbow. It's frozen right now, but it's headed straight for your heart. In the time it takes to get there, can you solve the mystery of your life? The cafe slows down time in order to enable a detective to find the answer to an unsolved murder before his death by gunshot. And that, again, was courtesy of Michael Hoffman. We start in a cemetery for this, and it's supposed to look kind of moody and mysterious. And a narrator tells us that the story is going to be about a guy named Stan Gates. He's in the cemetery. He seems to be a cop, and he's haunted by some sort of death. And we see him leaving a rose on a tombstone. Yes, it's uh, the grave of Charlotte Benning. And... That, uh, that little opening narration from uh, old Blackie. I wanted to ask you if you enjoyed how it started, because it just sort of started like this. There's a million stories in the city, and here's one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like the worst kind of pickup lines ever. It's like, there's a million women in the city, and you're definitely one of them. So how about it? <laughs> It did. It. I mean, it was a fun start overall, but like, it was th- that opening monologue. I'm just like, doesn't seem like anyone's trying. But I will say this: this episode was a little bit fun because what we're going to see is it's going to be a bit of a noir. They're at very least trying to do some sort of stylized storytelling, noir storytelling. So right off the bat, this is my favorite episode, at least from the point of they seem to be trying now. They're not exactly going to hit their marks and execute everything, but it did feel like for once the show was like, oh, let's actually just go for it. Yeah. This cop, Stan, uh, Detective Stan Gatlow. I thought it was Stan Gates. Oh, is it Gates? I thought it was Gatlow for some reason. It doesn't really matter anyway. I guess not. <laughs> While he's at this gravesite, he hears a car window breaking and he sees a kid breaking into a cop car. So he he's a good cop. So he goes chasing after the kid, even though he's off duty and he... Uh, Chases him through the streets, and of course, he's going to end up outside the Nightmare Cafe. I guess we could just finish what what happens to him right now before we go into the cafe. Right off the bat, I liked Stan as a character. He's not the sort of jerk you think he would be. Like he's actually quite compassionate and uh, empathetic towards the uh, the kid that has has broken into the car, and he's trying to talk him down. But they imply, I think that the kid's got a gun. He's got a gun, and. Uh, I think they imply that he's on drugs, so he's not in the best mental state. So he's a little bit panicky and nervous. And while, what's his name? Stan is talking to him. He shoots the gun and then time freezes. It's interesting. Like Stan is really, really, they're really hammering home. He's a good cop. And the, even the kid, when he trips and the gun goes off, he kind of like, he kind of stumbles backwards. The gun just kind of goes off. So no one's really at fault. It's a bad place, bad time. And we don't ever see what happens. We just hear the gun go off and we cut inside of the cafe where Faye and Frank are playing Clue. 
symbolism at its finest. Yeah, I know. I know. But what I like is um, this is, I guess, what they do in their off hours when they're not invisible. They just like play board games because no one's in. But here's an interesting question for you, Luke. They never seem to be very bored in their purgatory, do they? Like, they always seem fine with the things they have to do. They have to chop vegetables. They're kind of fine with it. They're playing board games. They're sitting around reading a newspaper. They never seem to really complain that much. They're just like, well, it is what it is. I like to think that these four episodes have taken place over, like, maybe 10 days. So they haven't had time. Oh, maybe. Uh, But uh, that's just me making up stories for them. Well, it's been long enough that um, their respective apartments have been... uh... They're being emptied out. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, as they're playing this clue game, Stan steps into the cafe, completely unhurt, and asks for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And uh, Blackie appears and offers him his favorite meal, a cheeseburger and fries, since it's going to be his last. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think, uh, is this where he shows him right off the bat? Like, Blackie's like, hey, look out the window. And he sees that he's himself is out there. Yeah. And, uh, and time has frozen. I was grateful for that. Because I was really worried they were going to tease us with whether or not he was dead for the whole episode. Because we just hear the gunshot go off, and then he steps in, he's unhurt, and I'm like, is this going to be a whole tease where, like, did he die, did he not? But no, Blackie takes him to the window, and outside, in a pretty good effect, the kid's frozen in time, kind of tripping backwards with the, with the flare of the gun going off from the, from the muzzle. We see Stan outside, frozen in time, his arm up to protect himself, and a, and a bullet traveling toward him, and, and Blackie tells him, he's like, Pretty soon that bullet's going to go through your arm and then hit your heart and you're going to be dead. But we're going to give you just enough time to solve the greatest mystery of your life. And let me just say now, this is not that great a mystery. Because in terms of setting up a noir, like a five-year-old could see what happened. But uh, <laughs> but anyways, it's the greatest mystery of his life. He's maybe a nice guy, but not a great detective, at least from my perspective. Anyway, this this news hits Stan, and uh, here's what he says, basically, when he's told this is what's happening. He asks if he is in the Twilight Zone. And my note was, I'd recommend not mentioning a better version of your TV show. Well, I also, my note was, you wish, buddy, you're in a C-tier knockoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is funny, right? It's like, someone was like, we have to mention it. We, it's so similar. We have to mention it. It's like, no, just don't. Don't even mention it. Don't call attention to it. I think it's very funny because i would love to see a version of the show where it's just like you you are in this position you're just like oh my god am i in the twilight zone they're like oh sorry man you didn't quite make the cut for the twilight zone like this is nightmare cafe though and you're like ah shit why am i not why didn't i get the cut i did the auditions oh well it is the show we're watching but right now blackie puts on music and uh, it's going to be one of these sort of like, you know, old timey kind of uh, musics on the jukebox. And we see the TV start showing Stan something from his past. I think it's 15 years ago. And it's uh, this is his greatest mystery. And it's him on the case of some uh, break and entering. The TV is showing a, a memory from the, from the crime. You're completely right. Um, it's all in black and white because I guess memories are black and white. They're just trying to differentiate the difference between the past and the present. I, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but I didn't mind it. At least, again, it was, a, I don't it was mind an attempt it at some stylized, you know. And it fits the theme of the show. It's, it's supposed to be a detective mystery, so it does fit well. They, they've lit it very well. It looks like a film noir. Um, he goes inside, and uh, Charlotte, the woman who died, whose murder he's trying to solve, her brother is a wheelchair-bound man, and when uh, Stan steps inside, he's been knocked unconscious and laying on the floor inside of the study. A a figure appears at the top of the staircase, all silhouetted in black, and uh, seems to shoot at him because a gunshot goes off, and Stan fires back. 
the person at the top of the stairs is hit and their body f- rolls down the stairs and lands in front of him and as he as he leans over to have a look at who he's killed someone comes up behind him and smacks him in the back of the head and he's knocked unconscious and when he wakes up it's no longer a body dressed in black it's charlotte yeah and she's there in like like a negligee or something yeah she's like in a white negligee laying in front of him and she's been shot through the heart and this is the crime he's never been able to solve is he knows when he got there he shot someone dressed in black and not charlotte but he he was never able to prove it the all the evidence said that he shot charlotte and uh, the crime was basically closed it was closed as an accident i guess an accidental shooting we're gonna find out later um in a not very well done scene but we'll find out later that part of the evidence is that he said he shot the uh the person in black but when they check charlotte's body his bullet is in the body so pretty conclusive that he accidentally shot her at least based on the evidence the ballistics experts they talked to at a firing range later apropos to nothing says it's that one bullet was fired from his gun and that bullet was inside of her heart so what are you gonna do and not to talk about the scene that happens like 20 minutes from now but <laughs> that scene is really funny it's not really important it's just to get that information across but when they go to go to talk to the woman in the in the firing range she's shooting a gun and she goes ah it's still pulling to the left <laughs> I, I just thought it was it was the weirdest line i was like what the gun is pulling to the left it's not a steering wheel <laughs> um but now we've kind of now we kind of have set up thanks to the tv for frank and frank and faye what the mystery is and us the audience are like oh well, what happened what really happened there and it's kind of funny because the episode starts and i guess this time frank is really reluctant to get involved with this one do you know why no because it's a guy <laughs> that's it right that's the only reason. It's the first time it's been a male uh, that is it, that's having this issue. So he's just like, ah, I'm not interested. I'm not going to get laid. But of course, uh, Faye lets it slip that she wishes she could lend a hand. She makes the mistake of saying the magic word, wishes in the cafe. She gets sent to, not the past, but she gets sent to, out of the cafe, into into the other world. She's sent basically to the, the, the mansion in present day. Yes, but here's the thing. She shows up and she the only way she knows who she is because she's suddenly in a different outfit and she has a business card and her it ha- and it has her name on it and then underneath it says crimes past and present and her title is producer. Now from that she deduces that she's a producer of a TV show and she like just gets right into the role. I, wouldn't you be more confused? I'd be like, who am I and what am I supposed to be doing and where am I? I assume because she's in a new outfit and she's got a purse. She has a purse with her now where this business card's in. Maybe there's just like a script for her from the cafe. It's like, here's what you say. Here's what you're going to do now. Well, that's what I mean. Because she doesn't have a script of things to do. It's one of those weird things. I'm like, they just need the characters to do this investigation. But it's like, I don't know how she would know what she's supposed to say or do or anything. She's good at this. She's really improv in her and the, her <laughs> and the cafe are really jiving. I guess. I guess. She meets with the brother, who in the current day is uh, still confined to a wheelchair, still has that very long hair. He's got a very long ponytail. Yeah, he talks about his sister a lot. And then basically, he tells his version of the story of what happened that night. He's become a sculptor. I mean, he may, I think he was a sculptor already. He's a bit of an artist. That's how he's using his wealth. He's, uh, he, shows, he shows Faye a sculpture he's made of his sister. Um, it's an abstract piece. It helps her remind him of, of her. And like, you know, Faye's there pressuring him to do this TV show, Crimes Past and Present. And he's just like, I'm not telling this story to a TV producer. And then immediately tells the story yeah. to the TV producer. Yeah. 
uh, like essentially his version is just like he was reading in the study that night heard a noise someone knocked him out and when he came to stan was standing over his sister's dead body so like everything checks out he doesn't seem that curious about who knocked him out i mean just a burglar broke in killed his sister it happens <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Of course, at the cafe, Stan and Frank are watching a phase hole investigation. And since it doesn't seem like there's any real mystery to solve, Frank offers Stan his favorite meal, cheeseburger and fries. That keeps getting said. Yeah, over and over. I'm going to say it a million times in this write-up. But man, cheeseburger and fries. That's his favorite meal. He mentioned it in the diner. Later on, he has it. He mentioned it to Charlotte. Then at the end, it's just like, oh man, okay, burgers and fries, we get it. He loves it. He loves it. But Frank's like, that'll cheer him up. So... Frank uh, steps into the kitchen and goes to the fridge to start making that burger. And in the fridge, he finds a rose. And when he closes the fridge and turns around, he's in some sort of shrine to the death of Charlotte, I guess, inside of her bedroom. Like there's all the newspaper articles everywhere, Mm. photos of her everywhere. And he puts the rose in the shrine and walks out of her room into the black and white memories of Stan. Mm -hmm. But of course, when you go into someone else's memories in the Nightmare Cafe... You are in color. <laughs> That's right. They play with that a little bit. It was fun. A fun little effect. Anyway, what he what Frank does while he's in Stan's memory is he he wanders around the house and as he steps out, he sees something that Stan didn't mention. It's Stan dancing with Charlotte in the front hall of the house. But he said he came there for a B and E. There's clearly more to this story than he's leading on, Jordan. Yeah, we're we're gonna find out over the course of the next couple scenes that Frank had met her earlier when he was assigned, I think, as, like, an off-duty cop to as security. He met her, she finds him charming, and they sort of had begun a relationship, is what we're going to find over the next few seasons. Yeah, like, Frank confronts him. He's like, all right, I didn't tell you the truth, because, you know, we'd never told anyone about our relationship, not even her brother. And, like, we had a meet-cute one time where some dude was trying to grope her, and I stopped him. Yeah, that's right. And then I said, I don't go in for all this hoity-toity fancy stuff. You want to have a cheeseburger and fries? And she was like, I'm chomped. This poor actress has nothing to work with. She has no nothing to do. She's just there to be uh, to hit on and then charmed by, by men. That's it. Right. But even with sort of now they kind of know the whole story. They were in love. She was killed probably by him at the top of the staircase. And Stan's kind of basically given up at this point. He's just like, well, all evidence says... The bullet was mine. It was in her heart. I, I guess I did kill her. Um, so I guess I will just do what you told me at the top front of the show is the second I walk out of this cafe, time will resume and I will die. There's nothing left for me here. There's no mystery to solve. And Blackie gets a little annoying, just like, oh, yeah, you think that? Well, how do you feel about this? And Blackie, like, starts time for a quick second because we hear kind of a cracking bone sound and old stan falls out of his chair at the cafe when he stands up he's bleeding from his arm and they go look outside the window and the bullet has now traveled through his arm and is now headed toward his heart uh, i guess blackie's cut down the amount of time he has left to live to solve this mystery yeah he's basically trying to show him that you do want to solve this murder before you die and it does work um because he gets a little more invested in solving this mystery and now is this when we go back to see on the tv we see the same uh, sequence uh, several times in this of what happened and we get a little bit more every time right so we go back to the tv and see a little bit more now right yeah kind of what is going on is they're they're gonna see a little bit more because uh, they basically that's what blackie offers him as like as as help to this he's like let's show you a little bit more what happens the no- what happened that night and what we get to see is stan flip the body over and see who he actually shot and who he flips over the person in black silhouette dressed in black is charlotte yeah 
So it does seem like he did kill her. So like this is kind of like this is where all the mysteries all piled up and you're like, what's going on? And they at the cafe are wondering how, how you know, what happened. So the mystery now is, for all intents and purposes, not did he shoot Charlotte. The mystery is, who changed her clothes? <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. It's what's weird is they cut back to the cafe and they're all like, well, it all adds up. You shot Charlotte. And they're talking about Clue and like they're all like, oh, it feels like we're missing a piece. What could it be? And there's a good 30 seconds where they're like, I don't know. I don't know what the missing piece is. It's hard to say what the missing piece is. And finally, Faye's just like, hey, wait a minute. How would her clothes change? Yeah. What has been the most obvious mystery of this whole thing? Like, it takes them forever to get to it in this episode. And I'll, I'll mention another weird thing of this. I know they sort of want to have Stan be a little bit reluctant, but it does seem odd to the show. And it's a bit of a mechanical issue the show has because they want to have Faye and Frank involved in everything. They keep getting involved in the story, but Stan doesn't really. Like, it's like, he's reluctant, but it's like he stays in the cafe and stuff. And it just seems weird to me that they're the ones propelling the action all the time. Well, I mean, it's also a funny thing because they introduced the idea of the mystery of his life at the start. And certainly Stan feels like he never figured out who that person dressed in black was, but the rest of the outcome was the same. And as the evidence all piles up, it becomes clear and clearer to Stan that, yeah, he just killed Charlotte. Yeah, so I think what it is is Stan never felt like this was the mystery of his life, I don't think. I think it feels like the cafe just keeps telling him this is the case, and he just doesn't believe it. Yeah. He has the least investment. You're right. It seems like he has regrets about it, but not like, it's not like this thing, like, he has to solve it. Yeah. He doesn't seem that invested. <laughs> right. But at this point, uh, Faye noticing that um, the clothes have changed uh, during the murder causes her to say she wishes she could figure out more about what that means she vanishes frank and stan are like both at this point being like oh i also wish i could help Faye." they keep start they both start saying like i wish i wish mm -hmm. and this is the point you're mentioning the cafe won't grant their wishes yeah it won't allow them to join her on whatever her journey is but for whatever reason when that doesn't happen frank turns to stan and says hey stan why don't you give me a hand in the kitchen and when they walk through the kitchen door, they end up back in the black and white memory. Essentially, the cafe is like, no, you can't go. All right. Yeah. It's, it made me wonder, like, is, does Frank know a secret, like a back door? Or does he just like know, oh, maybe the trick is we need to walk through a door? It, it's unclear, but they end up back in this house again, kind of watching the same murder one more time. And they're standing over the body and they're like, do you notice anything? Is there anything that stands out about you this to this crime that you didn't think about at the time? But what's weird is we get an effect over the next couple scenes where, and I don't know if it entirely works, Faye is in the house, but in present time, mm -hmm. trying to solve the murder. And Frank in and color. Stan, yeah, in color, Frank and Stan are in black and white in the, in the memory in the same house. So, and even at one point, the characters are going to cross each other, but they don't really know they're there. Or I think... I think uh, she doesn't see them, but they can see her. It's all this weird thing. And I was like, oh, this is complicated even for this show. I don't think, I don't know. Did that happen? I actually thought, yeah. I thought they were cross-cutting, but I don't think they saw each other. No, they did because she complains later on. She goes, "We, I was in the house and you guys didn't say anything. And he's like, no, no, you're in present tense. We were in the dream, so you couldn't see us. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I didn't notice it, actually. That's very that's very funny. I had noticed the cross-cutting, but I didn't realize they knew they were, like, I didn't realize they knew Faye was there. It doesn't really matter. It's just weird the way they staged it. 
honestly, I actually liked it because I didn't see that other part. I thought it was a good cross cutting because I thought they were like matching them both on separate investigations for the same crime. Right. I guess I selectively deleted a part of that memory. So I like the sequence more. (laughs) Sorry to ruin it. (laughs) But basically in this memory, they're looking at the body. He's Frank's compelling stand to like what looks weird, like use your detective mind to figure out something doesn't make sense. And Stan's kind of looking around the room being like, I don't see anything. Like, I already, I've thought about this a million times. Everything makes sense to me. It's all the same. Even the unconscious brother from the wheelchair, his scuffed shoes. And Frank's just like, scuffed shoes, but he can't walk. Again, I give them credit for, you've seen this sort of thing before in TV movies where someone essentially goes into a memory palace and they've got to go through and try to, you know, go through the fog of memory and try to find some sort of small detail that will solve the problem. That's not bad. They don't entirely do that this well because he just looks like a really bad detective. Because what you're going to find is, yes, his shoes are scuffed, meaning he can probably walk. But more important is like when he came into the break and enter, he never went over and looked at the body at all, which is weird to me. But anyways, it's the mystery of can the brother walk is something you saw from uh, from three minutes into the episode. I also question Frank's leap of logic. I, I don't know if you were in a wheelchair. I I think your shoes could get stuff scuffed still. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was a bit of a stretch. But the kind of thing we also see back in Faye doing the present time thing. She's wandering around the house in present day at night. She knocks over a vase and wakes up the brother at some point. And she goes into his sculpture sort of workshop. Yeah. And on the ground she sees, it's so funny. It's just like black wheelchair marks. Like he like rolled through like ink or grease or something and then they stop abruptly and just become shoe prints yeah yeah just to drive home the idea that's like he's a faking it he comes in this point right isn't he like to start chasing yeah, he her? appears behind Faye and is just like i guess you figured out my mystery and he's holding a blowtorch that's what he's threatening her with yeah and again she shouldn't be worried because she's already dead it doesn't matter nothing's gonna happen to her Maybe, I mean, I don't know. We don't know. Maybe it hurts still. Maybe she just doesn't want to feel that pain. Maybe, maybe. Anyways, she, he chases her. You would her. just let that man put a blowtorch into your eye. And... Let's just see what happens. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, breaks off into a classic chase sequence where he's chasing her through the house. They're running around. Frank and Stan are back at the cafe watching this all on the TV with Blackie. And they're like, Blackie, help her. Our wishes aren't working. And uh, Blackie, like, waves his hand at the TV, which on the TV Faye's running past a swimming pool and like the wave knocks her into the swimming pool. Yeah. Like he's got like magic powers. And then she she's just like disappears. Like the brother looks he looks for her, but she has disappeared and she I mean she's gonna appear in the cafe later, but Yeah, she like walks out of the ladies' room soaking wet. But the brother does find uh uh the business card, but it's a business card to the cafe that she apparently has. No, no, no. He digs through the purse because, like, she's gone missing, but she's still got her purse. And inside of her purse is a book of matches to the all-night cafe. Oh, I thought from what it looked like, I thought it was a business card. And I thought, what waitress would ever have a business card for the cafe they work at? But matches make more sense. So that's my mistake. Classic film noir thing. You find a book of matches and that's the only clue. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Always a bad clue, though. At this point, do we watch the whole what happened? Or that he comes back to the cafe first, the brother, right? Well, yeah, basically, essentially what we know now is the truth is out. Stan knows that guy walks, probably killed his sister. Like, something's up for sure. The brother now knows I got to use this matchbook to go to the cafe. So we basically cut back to the cafe. The brother walks to the door. He's got a gun. He's surprised to see Stan sitting there at the at the bar. 
but clearly the jig is up so he's just like uh oh, i've been meaning to tell you this for ages dan i've i've really wanted to torture you with my by getting away with murder so allow me to explain the entire mystery to you now that you know i can walk basically he says he always loved the sister it's sort of an incestuous thing i suppose you suppose um well yeah yeah i he suppose he wanted to incest her quite badly <laughs> so okay i don't suppose i know and uh, uh he pretended to have this disability so that she felt the obligation to help him so she would stick around that's kind of what happened is he came on to her really hard after showing her the sculpture he made. She rejected him and pushed him off the second floor of their house. So he was injured at some point. Right, right. But he's like, I eventually recovered and I just never mentioned it to anyone. So he's been milking it. He pretends he's uh, he has this disability. And then should we go through everything that, that got set up? Yeah, well, at some point he had seen the two of them dancing. So he knew Stan and his sister had hooked up and he was just not going to have that. He's like, if... I can't have her. No one can. I guess that's yeah. his plan. I couldn't yeah. tell who he was punishing by doing that. That's this. his plan. Yeah, it's it's if I can't have her, no one can. Yeah. He steals Frank's gun one night and swaps it with an identical gun mm-hmm. that he's put blanks inside of. He has to hope that this detective will never shoot his gun between the sw- switching it and this break and enter. He knows he's a good gu- detective. He'd never shoot his gun. Yeah. He calls in a break and enter. He shoots his own sister. In the heart. Kills her. With Frank's gun. Stan's gun. Then he takes a mannequin, leaves it on the ground by an upturned wheelchair, so it looks like... He's unconscious. He is there. I don't know how realistic this mannequin is, but it it looks like him enough. He's a sculptor. He's so good. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And then he puts the sister's body in the the black cloak. Oh, no, he's in the black cloak. So when... She's also in a black cloak. (laughs) Frank shows in for the the uh, break and entering, sees the mannequin on the floor, assumes it's the brother. Here's the the gun at the top, which is now the brother. He shoots the blank, gets out of the way. He I can't remember. He shoots the blank, and then <laughs> Frank also shoots a blank. I think what it is is he shoots his sister in the heart. Frank fires up the stairs to like fire back because he thinks he's being shot at. He pushes the body of his sister down the stairs so it'll roll down and land in front of him, and then. The brother sneaks back downstairs, and while Frank is looking at the body, clubs him in the back of the head, moves the mannequin, lays on the floor like he's been knocked out, and waits for Frank to basically wake up and discover the sister. Yeah. That's his whole plan and how it's executed. But one thing they never explain, and they just gloss over, is the brother just says, he's just like, then I came down, changed her clothes, and laid down. And I was just like, but I thought there was going to be some big reveal about, like, some perversion like he needed her to look pure when she died or something like there's going to be some reason like some some weird compulsion that made him change her clothes but they just gloss over it like oh yeah, her clothes are changed yeah there was no real reason for that was there no it, it, it's it's the core mystery of the thing like the only thing that makes it a mystery like if he had left her in a white negligee no one would have ever solved it right um so anyways the the jigs up they know they they know what's happened so is is it doesn't he does he have a gun now on Stan? Yeah, like he he explains this whole crime, explains how it works. He's got a gun on Stan, and Stan obviously doesn't really he's not afraid of the gun because he's about to die anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think he even points out the window and says, "Look out there! I don't care. Look at that bullet entering my chest right now." Yeah, they get in a bit of a wrestling match. He's trying to pull that gun away from him, and like Stan's basically gets the gun away and is holding the gun to the temple of the brother, and he's gonna he's like, "I'm gonna kill you," and like close the books on this case and. 
Frank and Faye run in and are like, don't kill him. You're a good cop. You don't want to die that way. You know, classic, like, yeah. make the right decision kind of sequence. What happens now is, so far, my favorite thing that's happened in all of the show, that for some reason, Blackie's now there. And does he, like, snap his finger or something? How does he, he, he indicate something, and suddenly the wheelchair comes out of the wall? Yeah, I mean, well, that's just it. Stan's made the right choice. He's not going to kill him. Frank and, Frank and Faye are happy. He walks away from the brother, and the brother, like, gets up, and he's like, well, I guess I'll excuse myself and leave. And Frankie's kind of, or uh, Blackie's kind of like, not so fast. And yeah, a wheelchair materializes out of the wall, flies at the brother. It, it essentially hits him so that he sits in it, shoots him through the doorway, which opens, and then in the doorway, it's his studio, and then pushes him all the way up to the statue. I think it's the statue of his sister. Yes. He touches, it forces him to like touch it. And then for some reason, apropos of nothing, nothing that has been seated, he touches it and he just gets all like gyrating. He starts making funny faces and he turns into a hideous, hideous statue. Yes. The, the his ironic punishment is he has transformed morphed into a grotesque looking marble statue. Is that a fitting punishment? It's not like he killed the sister because he was looking for fame as a sculptor. No, it, it doesn't quite fit. There's a bit of an epilogue here where they kind of say, there's like a voiceover where they talk about how since after the brother went missing, his artwork was never appreciated. But in some dark corners of the art world, his final work, the known as the final scream, the the sculpture of himself in this grotesque pose became something of a curiosity like there's this kind of like a an epilogue being like isn't it weird that the only sculpture he's remembered from is the one that's him but shouldn't his punishment be that he's in the wheelchair he's pushed out and then he falls down the stairs and is paralyzed it did feel that way i did think what they were going to do is like really paralyze him as punishment yeah but they ended up going i mean it feels like a twilight zone ending but you're right like they needed to established the idea that he wanted to be a sculptor more for like the irony of his final his his only successful work being the one that's him being tortured yeah i don't know it, yeah it doesn't quite work but it does look cool we now see outside the bullet in the time uh, freeze has moved it's moving stan goes that's it mystery solved i can die now i'm happy he walks outside the bullet does go through and kill him they hear the gunshot in the cafe, we do see, because it's not that time's been, I guess time's been moving very slowly, because after they've kind of done this thing to the brother, Stan stands up and he's got like blood pouring out of his chest, like the bullet has penetrated him outside and is like traveling toward his heart. So he's just like, I guess my time's up. And then, so he dies and then, wait, record scratch, Stan walks back into the cafe. I know, what a twist. Yeah, and Charlotte is there as well. They're both in black and white. And guess what? They get to have that date of burger and fries. And my thought was, didn't they have already have that date of burger and fries? I think it was more just like, because he walks in in color. And then when he sees her, he becomes black and white. His hair gets a little longer like he had in the 70s. And I think it's, it's, I think Blackie says something about like, those who love, love forever. They just have to wait a little while. Like there's some sort of implication that when you die, you get to see your loved ones. That's like, there's some, that's kind of maybe the moral of it or something. Well, it's sort of like it's all done and because he's done the right thing and solved this case, now they get to be together in the afterlife. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. 
that that does seem to be like kind of this final the final lesson of the of the of the show at the nightmare cafe if you do the right thing you get rewarded yeah sort of and they dance and that's the end of the episode well jordan do you have any final notes before we get into ratings for this Nothing I think that we haven't said before. Uh, the show has really made it clear that there isn't going to be a lot of consistencies in the rules and the characterization of people. But at this point, it's just like, eh, just sit back and uh, kind of enjoy the moments if there is any. Let it wash over you. Exactly. You know what that means, Jordan? What's that? Time for a commercial talk. <laughs> oh, no, really? You're, yeah, what are your favorites? No, I'm not going to talk about them too much. I just wanted to make note of two things. Uh, one, I really want to watch that TV movie, The Big One. The L.A. earthquake movie looked great. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The Hollywood sign fell down. I'm like, oh, it looks amazing. <laughs> what else was there? I was really excited to see all those Man and Machine commercials. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was a lot of Man and Machine. And I was like, how sad that a show that's destined to be canceled, like Nightmare Cafe, is also promoting another show that's also destined to be a failure. I hadn't looked at it, but I was wondering if they would be on the same network. So I was very excited to be like, look at that, same network. <laughs> Yeah, whoever was making the uh, the decisions of which shows to uh, to go forward with uh, didn't have that job very long, I don't think. NBC wasn't landing a lot of hits, apparently. No. <laughs> All right, that's enough of that. Let's rate these. Let's rate these episodes. What do you want to give the first one? Faye and Ivy, episode three. In terms of the the three episodes we've seen, the first episode was okay. It was kind of a, uh, introducing characters, and the second episode was so porny and gross. So this one was a little bit better than that. So I'm going to give it just a tiny bit more, and four point five out of ten. 4.5 not good yeah I, here's the thing i feel about these things too is these two episodes are uh improvement over the last episodes i sure. agree i think this one like the having a sister come in like this tied the characters into the story a bit more which works better than most of them and there are a few moments that were fun and then a few moments that were bad and a lot of moments where it was just boring time wasting i'm gonna give it a straight down the middle five i feel like this is just like the most average piece of television. Really, that is what it is. It's at best average, which is, you know, not saying much. But, you know, I'm still hoping that they'll have at least some moments that uh, make it worthwhile. But what do you think about episode four? Episode four is my favorite episode so far. Yes, the uh, the heart of the mystery. Honestly, uh, these shows, are they're almost the exact same feeling for me. I liked elements of them. I was bored by elements of them. I think maybe the trappings of this one, the kind of the noir mystery worked a little more just because I maybe enjoyed that a bit more. Yeah. And I loved the morphing into the grotesque statue at the end. It was like, yeah, it was great. This is what that show should be doing is like that gross, something gross like that. But I'm going to give it a 5.5. Uh, Luke, it doesn't happen that often, but I'm going to give it the exact same score. 5.5 for me as well. Well, it's, if anything's ever been a 5.5, it's that episode. <laughs> That's true. All right, that about wraps it up for this episode of Continuum Drag. If you have any thoughts on Nightmare Cafe, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And, of course, Instagram and Twitter, we'll have giant flies. We'll have uh, uh, people morphing into statues. That's got to be there. Yeah, I, there'll be some fun stuff on this one. There, there's some interesting stuff. So, In the little two seconds clips. It's one of those shows that fall under the category of if you watch this show in five to ten second increments, it's much, much better than the whole that's true. That's true. It's it's much less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Uh, good doing this with you. And listener, we'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Dreg is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. 
Special thanks to Aaron Younes, Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard.